When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain Westwire football podcast. Recapping five games, 10 teams over two days. MWR.com is our website where you can find all of our stuff, which, man, we've been busy today, Matt. Uh, first off, you must have had a decent week. Your team did not play, and so you couldn't have been defeated. I mean, yeah, but also, you know, as, as a Fresno State fan, things could have gone better considering the results of the weekend. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah, there's you, a game. You, you can't have it all, I suppose. No, you can't have it all. So speaking of those results, we're gonna, here's what we're going to do. Like last week, we kind of started off with something a bit different. You wrote an article on tiebreakers because apparently there's a change nobody knows about or knew about. I'm confused. So here's where it comes down to. If there's going to be tiebreakers, it would be because with we'll get to it because Utah State lost. So there's potential for tiebreakers in the Mountain Division, which is the more difficult one. No West or technically can be as well. Mm -hmm. But in the Mountain Division, it could be two loss Utah State, two loss Air Force, two loss um, Boise State, and they've all beaten each other. And I was under the impression, like we've discussed over the weeks past, that it, oh, it just goes to like divisional record beyond that. But that that, that may not be the case. Which would mean your record against Colorado State, Wyoming, and um, Mexico. 
Yeah, so there's there's a difference because I think, you know, there's a couple of, I don't know if you want to call them preconceived notions or sort of like mistaken ways of thinking about it. So what I tried to lay out in the article was not only the different tiebreakers that each team would be able to you know, benefit from or against in terms of getting to the title game, mm-hmm. but then but then there are other requirements or tiebreakers that go, come down to whoever hosts the title game. Yeah. So what's the t- actual tiebreaker scenario in the Mountain Division? Like if it's if it's a two two lost so, teams that I mentioned. So so okay. So it's actually I can I can explain this in terms of both divisions. I think because in in the in the West Division it's fairly simple. Um, the only way that you know two teams would finish at the top of the division would be if San Diego State lost to Boise State on Friday and Fresno State beats San Jose State on Thursday. Okay. Um, so. In that case, both of those teams would finish with a six and two conference record. And you know, when you have a tie between two teams, if there was a head-to-head, obviously head-to-head is always sort of like the primary. And because the Bulldogs beat the Aztecs a few weeks ago, 30 to 20, in that scenario, Fresno State would win the West Division title. In okay. in basically every other scenario, like if obviously if, if Fresno State loses, it doesn't matter what San Jose yeah. State or San Diego State does, they'll win the division. Fresno has to win. Yeah. In the Mountain Division, it can be a little more complex. But the one thing to keep in mind is that in terms of like tiebreakers, you don't go through the three-team tiebreakers until you get down to one. You go through the three-team tiebreakers until you get to two, or alternatively, until you eliminate one. Yeah. So So how do you eliminate people after a tie? So because if they all win... They're all six and two. Yes. So they're so the, one and so one versus primary, each other. Yeah. So the primary tiebreaker would be you know winning percentage in games among the tied teams. As you mentioned, Air Force, Utah State, and Boise State could all end up in the situation where if they are all six and two, or in, in in the unlikely event they all lose this weekend and they are all five and three, you know, they would still be one and one against each other. And so that tiebreaker gets thrown out the window. The next one is winning percentage in games played against division opponents. And so in that scenario, the one team that that's going to hold it against is Utah state. Because while, while even in the worst case scenario, like even assuming that all three teams lose this weekend, air force, Boise and, and Utah state, Utah state would be the only team among those three with more than one loss to mountain division opponents, because, you know, even in this scenario where they all, where all three teams win, this weekend, Utah State still would have lost to Boise State, as we mentioned, and they would have had the loss to Wyoming as well. Yeah. So, you know, I'll, I can just read it sort of verbatim real quick from the, the actual form that the Mountain Must laid out there. So basically, if at any time any team or gain an advantage over the other teams, then, the you know, the basically one team gets eliminated. And yeah. so then it goes back to the two team tiebreakers. And yeah. in the in the scenario where all three teams are either five and three or six and two, because Air Force owns the head-to-head advantage against Boise State, the Falcons would win the Mountain Division. And what's the thing like BJ is putting about computer rankings and saying he's not wrong when he's wrong for article he wrote last week? Isn't the computer rankings just for hosting, right? If there's no ranked team, correct? Typically, yeah. I mean, there are you know way down the list. Yeah, you know some some tiebreakers for for um you know settling division tiebreakers. But you know, in in terms of like three teams, you know, you have to go through you know division opponents against the next yeah. highest place team in the division, 
common opponents and then you start getting into the, the yeah, computer ranking because he was weird because like here's some article it put specifically in there computer ratings and then pays saying what this is stuff is like that's wrong but he would never i don't know then i saw that and i'm like what is going on because why would they do the computer rankings higher up yeah so, so this makes more yeah, sense so, we were so hosting so what what they use to determine to host is the and rather the order in which they use those things is a little bit different than what they do to you know determine who plays in the game. So obviously, yeah. you know, in some situations, you know, head to head will come into play, um, and I think that's most prominent, you know, in the event that Boise State ends up ahead in the Mountain Division. Yeah. Um, you know, if you know, obviously, if they beat the Aztecs on Friday, you know, both teams would be six and two. So, uh, you know, if if Fresno State loses then they would host the Aztecs by virtue of having the head to head. And, you know, we also know that they beat Fresno state. So regardless of whichever team comes out of the mountain division and that's an, or excuse me, the West division, Boise state would host no matter what, because they've beaten both of them already. Yeah. But, but the other thing that you well, no, it, no, if play, it, wait, I thought, Oh, never mind. The San Diego state probably drop out of that scenario. So never mind. Well, so here's the thing, even if they don't, the first provision which, you know, it, it, and this is assumed that I think head-to-head doesn't come into play, which, yeah. which it would in some scenarios. Um, in the event that the highest ranked team, which in this case, it would only apply to San Diego State, the first tiebreaker would be if the, the highest ranked team in the playoff rankings loses the final weekend of the regular season, which, you know, in, in the scenario where Boise State wins and in other, some other scenarios, that would have to um, imply that San Diego State lost to, to Boise State in some capacity. Yeah. And you, you know, then in that case, then the computer rankings come into play. And in the event that it's a scenario where Fresno State ends up winning the West Division. So in that case, that would probably come into play in the event that, you know, Air Force or Utah State, I believe, you know, would both basically both San Diego State and I believe Air Force or Utah State would finish six and two in that case. Mm-hmm. Correct. But you have to go down to basically, you know, if you're looking at the document that I linked to in the article, it goes, you know, one is head to head and there's 2A, 2B, 2C. And then the one I'm looking at, 2D, where it says if neither team is ranked in the rankings going into the final weekend of the season, which would apply to every team but San Diego State here. Yeah. Then the composite average of selected computer rankings would come into play. So that's remember that happened a couple years ago. Yeah, so that happened, uh, I believe, most recently in 2018, when, uh, or was it 2017? I can't remember which. There's the Air Force San Diego State where none, neither were ranked, but then the other thing was Boise State. It was 2017, Fresno. where where yeah, Air, Fresno Air, won the finale in Fresno. That's what and it was. Had yeah. to go to Boise State for the championship because Boise is ranked before, despite losing that final weekend. Yes. So, which like, is, so I mean, you know, for example, in the event, and I think this is true, and I'm just looking up the article just to make sure I have this correct. So in the event that, and this is just one specific example, so bear with me. So San Diego State and Utah State both finished six and two. Correct. San Diego State would host Air Force because of the head-to-head tiebreaker. Yeah. They would lose, or they would travel to Boise because of the head-to-head tiebreaker. Mm -hmm. But they would probably... And, and this and this and, and probably the other, and, the, well, and the only reason I say probably is because we don't know what the composite computer rankings are going to look like after next week. But if sure. the season if the season ended right now and that scenario were to come into play, then they would likely host Utah State 
in the event that San Diego State and Utah State both finished six and two. Crazy stuff. Yeah. So there's like there's a bunch of different scenarios. I laid them all out. But basically, in a nutshell, like if, if you're a Utah State fan, you are rooting against Air Force this weekend, pretty much. Well, and or, or, and, and Boise, Boise State. Yeah. 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 No, actually, I take that, that back. Yeah, you're basically rooting for Boise State just to lose because they own. If Boise loses, they own a tiebreaker between Air Force would win the division. Mm-hmm. So that's what they want. Yeah. Anything else to add, or does that explain it well enough? Hopefully, I think that pretty well explains it. Go read the article. I think it's like one of the top one the pinned article or one near the top. So, you ready for games now? Yeah, let's do it. Oh man, this weekend there were some crazy stuff. So. We'll go order typically as we do. Friday night, Air Force 41, Nevada 39, triple overtime. Do I get credit for me just staying Air Force will rush for 500 yards and win? Can that work out well? That's pretty dang close. I mean, I'll, I'll give it to you if you want it. 476? Come on. Mm-hmm. And who the heck, like, no offense, but John Dre Hughes? Holy boy. <laughs> oh, man. He's really, come on. He's really come on strong, hasn't he? Yeah, I know. Brad Robert, everybody played well, but this game. First off, Air Force should, this game shouldn't have gone to overtime. Air Force had a nice 17 to 3 lead and then stupid, stupid pass interference penalties on their end for let me do a stiff arm. Let me pull in your jersey, Nevada good player. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like to keep many multiple offensive drives alive. Like this game, like it was close to the first quarter, 3 0. I was like, oh, interesting. Air Force was running the ball pretty well. Nevada wasn't moving, wasn't doing all that great, but Nevada held. But, like, overall, there's those couple of PI calls that kept drives alive. But, yeah, this game, Air Force should have won. They were outscored 14-0 in the fourth quarter. They, there was, like, I think, was it eight, ten minutes left when they are up by two scores? Mm-hmm. It was nearing that fourth – well, well, a good chunk of that fourth quarter is gone. I'm like, oh, they got this. But then they had punt, punt, fump, the fumble for a touch – like, goes to the touchdown. That one play touchdown, that 60-something yarder. Mm-hmm. Like, man, they – Give credit to Nevada, but in Air Force, they should it should have come to that. So I'm getting that they kind of blew it at the end. The defense kind of like, oh, we're fine, we're gonna win, and then boom, they play that crap for the last little bit. Yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely a, a fascinating game to watch. And and the other thing which you didn't mention, which really undermined that effort, was the turnovers, man. Oh yeah, cool. You know, because they they had the fumble the, the fumble on the first drive, and then they had the fumble. I you know they had a turnover on downs right off the bat in the third quarter. Um, you know, Nevada gets the ball at their own seventeen yard line, and they turn that into a touchdown. Seven plays, eighty three yards. So that you know there mm-hmm. were multiple instances like that where you know Air Force was this close to being able to just you know, put it away. Four touchdowns. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and like I said, you know, you, you give credit to Nevada for battling back, even though they you know. Air Force definitely made him work for it in a lot of other respects. You know, Carson Strong threw for almost 350 yards again. I believe it was like the seventh straight week that he's thrown for over 300 yards. Um, but the Falcons also had seven sacks in this game. Mm-hmm. And I thought, it was, I thought, wait, I thought it was eight sacks, seven or no, I believe it was seven. They got to the quarterback all day. That's all that matters. Maybe lose yeah, track of yeah, the they, they, you know, and they forced him into an interception that stopped the drive. You know, they had a forced fumble. So it wasn't However, like they, they cannot stop the fade again. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, who who can though? That's what I'm saying. Just saying. Did you? Well, we'll get to the Nevada, the UNLV fade as well because that pass play against San Diego State. Whew, boy, we'll get that one later. But you're right; nobody can stop it. But their first defense was wild. Like, yeah, I mean, they were getting it done up front, and and 
you know, you, there were a lot of instances where it seemed like they were that close to making a play, but Carson Strong, like there's a reason why he's going to be playing on Sundays next year. Yeah. He, he's a special player. Like uh, clearly we know they, we'll see what, where he goes and all that, but like four TDs, he passed the ball pretty well. Like seeing or excuse me, Nevada ran okay to a talented fine, but overall they were stopped. Like, yeah, Carson Strong's able to make all those plays. Like, did you notice to like, I'm not sure why, but you see how, how high they're throwing those passes sometimes for the corner at, at the sideline? Mm-hmm. Like, every pass seemed to be like you had to jump to catch it. Like, did you notice that, like, in the fourth quarter? Yeah. Like, like there was a one that was, like, intercepted or tipped or something happened. Like, it was just getting it to where only his guy is getting the ball. So, I'm getting that. Yeah. So, it was, like, it was we- not weird, but I just noticed it. Like, oh, okay. I think part of it could have been on the PI calls, like they kept getting up there and their air force is kind of hanging around. So maybe that was the case, but you know, he dubs Horton Turner, like all those guys, like 19 receptions between dubs and Horton by themselves. They were mm-hmm. very, 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 very good. Deep plays too. Mo- two plays of what basically a 61 yard or 49 yarder. They were going downfield too. Like they're getting big, either downfield or big pass plays. Yeah. It's, does this change anything? Like Air Force is pretty good. Clearly, they win by a couple points in triple overtime. Does this change any impact? Or actually, should we mention people were complaining to us about Nevada? Didn't we both think Air Force to win the game? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Because somebody replied on Twitter somewhere. I'm like, uh, dude, we both think Air Force this week, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that it's who cares if we're right or wrong. It's nice, but like, is Air Force case? Okay, we have a couple games left. If we're going to do – I know gate teams already played each other. But if we're looking at who San, likely San Diego State would play, they've they lost the Air Force already, so that would be a good game. Do they Like, how would a Utah State game go? Because if it's Air Force – I don't know. We'll, whatever. We'll get that later. Anything else to add about this game? I'm going to ramble. We don't need to go two hours tonight. I mean, I think one thing we haven't talked enough about is how – how seamlessly Air Force seems to have integrated a number of different kind of players. Like, you know, you mentioned DeAndre Hughes and sort of how he came out of nowhere in the last few weeks. And he's maybe the most obvious example, but, you know, you saw other guys who have really only recently broken down, you know, broken into the lineup or broken into, mm-hmm. you know, rotations. And I think that might be more true on the defensive side of the ball. And they needed every last one of those guys, you know, like Jaden Deergood, for instance, you know, had one of those sacks and two TFLs. Um, and Camby Goff had a TFL, and I believe he was also the one in coverage on dubs in the final play of the game. Yeah, I believe so too. Yeah, and and Vince Sanford, who we talked we've talked about a couple times in these recaps, you know, he had three TFLs and two sacks. He had that Porsche fumble that we talked about earlier. So it's really kind of remarkable the job that Air Force has done, sort of patching things up on the fly. And you know, they they ran for that many yards while also sort of moving pieces around on the offensive line as well you know yeah and i think you know they have at least two or three sophomores i think who are in the starting lineup who are seeing prominent amount of playing time now so you know not only are they really playing well in these late stages of the season they're also setting themselves up to be you know one of maybe one of the primary containers going into next year too well it totally could be yeah because this is a air force team like that's always have i guess this is probably also a bypass of last year for getting extra playing time all the turnbacks returning mm-hmm. 
because like they'll have like because the, the defenders you mentioned also players back like because Ezekiel Daniels there, mm-hmm. but they're already well ahead of what we thought they'd be anyways from two years ago or from last year where they like oh they're not gonna be very good. All these new players they played reasonably well last year. Yeah, it, I mean it sort of it sort of reminded me how I, I I can't remember exactly how I talked about it when we did the the summer previews, but you know we talked about how two years ago this was a top twenty five team. Yeah, and and the way that they played recently, they haven't been that far away from reaching that level again. It's true, and and that sort of and that sort of stands in contrast to Nevada. And I think it was BJ Reigns who put it out there. And and I don't necessarily know how fair it is, but you know he was making the case you know about whether or not the Wolfpack were the most disappointing team in the Mountain West this year. Um. Yeah, I can see that based on what expectations, what people thought, like myself. Yeah. Them or San Jose State, right? But I'd say I'd lean more Nevada. Nevada was like the clear front runner to win the division. I mean, the, I mean, the idea, I think mostly, and, and I think that the one obvious thing that, that Reigns pointed to when he was sort of making the initial case was in comparing the Wolfpack to Boise State, you know, which remember both those teams were the preseason favorites, that Nevada had the more top tier offensive talent in particular that was meant to put them over the top and mm-hmm. you know they lost this game by two they lost the Fresno State game by two they lost the San Diego State game by two so it's not like they've come up way short yeah of expectations and you know and, and it sort of obscures the fact that like I said they you know both they and the Broncos came into the season with the same you know level of expectations mm-hmm so I don't, I mean, on a certain level, I don't understand what talent really has to do with it if the expectations are the same. Well, I don't think it's talent. I think, yeah, they both are predicted when when the division, but Boise wasn't predicted to maybe be a New York Six type of team. Mm-hmm. I felt Nevada was higher up in that range. Like if we were to hierarchy, like rank all the teams in you know, college football, Nevada had more had better expectations relatively to Boise. Like mm-hmm. within the conference, you can say they're both about the same, especially if Boise doesn't win the division, which we'll see. You mentioned tiebreaker scenarios, but I think Nevada, with what the nationally, yes, they've, they're they're yeah, underachieving by quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So that's where I come down on that. Okay, well that's that's all I wanted to bring up. I was just thought it's sort of uh, an interesting exercise in sort of measuring teams against what they were expected to do. Just go by Vegas win totals. If you're under by that much, that's it, right? Easy enough. Come on. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. We can go with that. <laughs> I just thought about that. Like, that's easy. <laughs> no. All right, here we go. San Diego State, UNLV. Can we say that UNLV should have won this game? I will you, will you go that far and say that was a possibility? I mean, I, I mean, I, I didn't think to ask Bill Connolly what the post-game win expectancy was. I'm pretty sure like his Google sheet that he has with all those numbers will be ready by like tomorrow or something like that. We're recording this on Sunday evening, the 21st, but you know, you you look at this game and you see that UNLV outgained San Diego state by a yard and a half per play. Yeah. And that was with a backup quarterback playing the majority of the game who torched them. And that was with Charles Williams getting mostly bottled up on the ground. Yeah. Hello, Steve Jenkins. Come on, man. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. And, and oh, oh, by the way, that was also without Kyle Williams because he got banged yeah. up and knocked out of the game, too. He only had two catches before he was hurt. So, yeah, I, I see this as, as sort of uh, sort of an escape in some respects. Yeah. 
Like, imagine this. They needed a fluky pick six early on for that touchdown, like the tip and everything. Mm-hmm. So they had that. There was the uh, – well, the fumble that didn't happen wasn't even close. They, were, they said the fumble, but mm-hmm. there were enough defensive plays where, like, Jacoby Whitman had three sacks on his own. Like, he was amazing. But there were times where a penalty here or there where you know, UNLV still scored, but there were chances where they got the ball, like, and like the, like the interception late in the game when they were down to one, UNLV. They get the ball and go, what, minus one yard? Minus two. Like, they don't move the ball. And yeah. that was the opportunity where it's like you get an interception and you do nothing. Or they settle for a – what was, what was their first – I don't blame them on the first field goal because that was like the first point ever Asics have given up like in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. Is that the three-yard line? Maybe be a bit aggressive there because, heck, at San Diego State, you're at home. Might as well. Like I thought when they got the penalty – or no, that wasn't that was a different drive, sorry. I felt being at the three-yard line, like go for the touchdown, man. Make them drive down the field. But I felt you don't know these offenses, unlike Colorado State, and New Mexico is not super fair they're so young, but like – there was a lot of promise in this game. Like even with Charles Williams not playing well, I know one touchdown was a busted play by the Aztec secondary where they both went after like that screen or something, the wide receiver bubble, whatever. And then I forget first, second quarter, I think, but you want to be like Justin Rogers. This is why I, this is game is why I felt he could have been the starting quarterback earlier in the year before he got hurt, like state beating the guy. Like, this is what I thought I would see from him, but he must've not been healthy the whole time because he got injured right away. Early on, but what he did this game is kind of like what I felt he may be able to become throughout the year or throughout the years if you're the starter. So there's that, but I felt yeah they should have I almost should have won, but like Lucas Johnson did okay. Greg they held Greg Greg Bell to hardly any rushing yards. Bird had that one huge rushing play. That's it. They played pretty well, like really really well, and they had chances to win this game. Yeah, I mean I think that. I think you could say, yeah, UNLV should have won this game if they'd made a handful of different decisions. But I would also say that sort of does a disservice to how San Diego State ultimately played this game. And and, in the first half, the timeout going for it on fourth down, get that touchdown. That's huge. Well, again, case in point, you know, Matariza didn't have this sort of, you know, like 80 yard punt oh my god highlight type real that you sorry know, he, he had to bounce week. back the guy caught at the five yard line with the backspin give him a break well <laughs> okay so here's what i was gonna say though. you know he he had i believe six punts in this game if i'm not mistaken um, i believe so five yeah. or six so in the in those instances unlb started at the 12 15 8 Six yeah, that was and 36 yard line. I saw, saw on Twitter. It was like a 15 yard, at least a fi- about a 15 yard line of, or field possession difference. Yeah, in favor and San Diego State. And that last one, I believe, was like the his longest punt of the day as well. And, yeah, and, then, and the oh, by the way, were, and oh, by the way, the last time he punted, they it rolled enough for them to run out the clock, literally. Yeah, five, yeah, five of six were in the 20. But also, you know, in terms of like you know, field position. San Diego State made the most of its opportunities, really. You know, it, where where UNLV really had to work its way down the field a lot more often than not. You know, San Diego State. You know, it, you know they had one, two, three, four, and five drives, including the including the last one where they started at you know the UNLV excuse me at its own forty five yard line or better. And they got, you know, two touchdowns out of those five drives, or excuse me, three touchdowns out of those five drives. 
so you know even though the the, you know the total yardage and the the per play yardage you know obviously doesn't really work out in their favor you know i i wish i had the numbers for like available yardage earned in this game because i have to imagine that it would be a lot closer than it was you know in terms of average field position and and this is credit to to parker ferguson and his website cfb dosh dot graphs.com san diego state its starting field position was basically the 36 yard line UNLV's average starting field position was the 18-yard line. Maybe that's that a right tweet I saw. Yeah, that right there plays a huge role in this game. And and oh, by the way, you know, like you said, Lucas Johnson played well. You know, relative to what he was asked to do, you know, 18 of 24 for asked a bit better. Yeah, yeah, he was pretty good in this game, and that was despite getting chased down every so often by Winman. Yeah. Um, and and Jesse Matthews stepped up. You know, he, three touchdowns. We haven't really talked about him, but you know, he's he's one of those. Aztec receivers that you know, even if he doesn't put up like all conference numbers, like that doesn't mean that he doesn't go out there and do his job for this offense. I mean, it isn't always about catching touchdowns, but in, when it is, he's one of the most reliable guys anywhere in the conference. He like is he an all conference receiver? I mean, in terms of like, I mean, that might be a bridge too far. Yeah, I'm looking right now. I thought it had more touchdowns. I think they've all come in the last two games. He had three this weekend. Was it two last week or the week before? I think so. Yeah, I don't have the game by game it, in front of me. Yeah, it's five. He's only he's not going to make it because the average only eight. Not that like he's efficient. Five, 18 catches. All right, that's sorry, that's the wrong guy. I'm looking at sorry, 30 catches, but like not even nine yards per attempt. Mm-hmm. Can he get an all conference because he wears 96? Is that possible? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, you only get like two and a half, two and a half catches per game, so it's he's he's a, one of the more efficient guys. The past two games, he's been stepping up, but no, I thought he might have like maybe forty five catches and like eight touchdowns. I'm like, oh, I could I could get him in the range, but never mm-hmm. mind. Yeah, so I mean, like I said, I think you know UNLV played a very good game given the circumstances. I think the one thing that stood out to me was the fact that they they lit up San Diego State for a ton of big plays. Which you know we had seen a few times this year, but we had really only seen it against like really good quarterbacks. You know, Cam Rising, your Jake Hayners, your Carson Strong's, and you know, given the way that he had played this year to date, like you know, once Friel got hurt, we were like, oh man, like what what's what's the offense going to look like? And then he's out there throwing darts. You know, he has you know Zyle Griffin open by a fifteen yards. Yeah. On that on that first touchdown he throws, you know, he's the 80 yarder to Stevie Jenkins after that. Um, you know, and then he's throwing wheel routes to, to Charles Williams out of the backfield. So even awesome. though even such though, a nice play. Yeah. So even though the Chuck Wagon is getting bottled up in the running game, like he's finding ways to contribute through the air, which we don't often see a lot of. And if and, not for a dumb holding penalty, he would, he would have had his first ever rushing touchdown for San Diego State. Yeah. So you know, I think both teams played an excellent game here. And and San Diego State, you know, obviously did enough of, enough of what it wanted to well enough to kind of escape in the end. Yeah. Are you concerned about San Diego State playing Boise State, who's on a, who's been playing much better of late compared to what the Aztecs have been doing? I mean, I think at this point the Aztecs sort of are what they are. But I think the the big thing to me is like even when the ground game isn't working and the Johnson has found a way to get things done. You know, he's he's basically like sort of the what you might call the platonic ideal of what you would want an Aztecs quarterback to be, because yeah. you know he's not a guy who's always going to like be mobile with his legs, but he can be if you need him to. And they didn't necessarily need him to be in this game, but he he's able to offer that. 
And, you know, while they didn't necessarily get a whole lot from Greg Bell, you know, Jordan Bird gave him a jolt when they needed it. He had that, you know, 47-yard run. Yeah. And so I think, I think, like I said, they are, they sort of are what they are. And I think the key for them is, you know, sort of determining how often they're going to be able to get after Hank Bachmeyer in particular, man. you know, and whether Bachmeyer is going to be one of those guys who can beat the secondary in the same way that other top quarterbacks have. And if he can't, then, you know, the Aztecs might be able to sit back and play the game the way they want to. We'll see. Cause there's a reason why we both kind of chuckled at the 10 and a half point line because mm-hmm. San Diego state can't score points. It's only scored 21 offensive points because yeah. they're big six. That's why these games. That's why they're not going to blow anybody out. It's very difficult for them. They're they're getting better at it the past couple of years, but they're still not going to. It's it's like when I watch University of Utah. Obviously, they I was shocked, shocked that they're leading the Pac-12 in scoring for how and all they do is run like three tight end sets and throw to slot receivers. Huh, yeah, and that's all. That's all they do, and it works perfectly. I'm like, all right, do what you got to do, and they hand the ball off to like Tavion Thomas. And crush Oregon like they did on Saturday, which is awesome. But like San Diego, and even though they don't pass, like those two teams, even though Aztecs beat them, which is good for them, obviously, before Utah said, said hey, maybe Charlie Brewer is not a quarterback. But they're fairly similar teams in what they do. They're not going to throw the ball a ton. They're going to run quite a bit. Utah is, I don't know if they're, what they're doing now. They're just doing it at a better, a little bit better level, I think, than Aztecs, but they're not far off from what they do. Mm-hmm. And Aztecs aren't quite there where they're going to score 35 a game. Like this is 28. It's pretty good, obviously, for it got them to win. But there's times where, like, you remember that first no game we talked about forever? They won like 17 to three. It felt like 60 to zero a couple years ago, where they just like sat on the ball, did nothing. Yeah. It, and, and that's the thing. Like, this is an Aztecs team that, you know, doesn't beat themselves. And that's another thing that I think can work out in their favor, too. Like, even the one interception that Johnson threw was, you know, a really heads up play by one of UNLV's many kind of young, up and coming athletes, Ricky Johnson. Oh yeah, his his name was called all night. Like, did he like the interception where he fell down? Yeah, where he was he was that close to maybe having a pick six. Oh, that's the one. What it was? Yeah, that's the other place thinking about. I'm like, I actually didn't get to the game until today. I watched it Sunday afternoon. I'm like, I need to watch this as close. And so, but that's what I knew. I'm like, there was one of the play where it would could have made a difference where he jumped so high to get it, but had he been able just to get it or stay on his feet, oh, that was touchdown all all the way. But I mean, other than that, the you know the offense didn't really make any mistakes whatsoever in this game. And and given how they are more than comfortable playing a field position game with elite special teams as well, it you know they play their game. And if other teams aren't able to overcome it, that's how they win games. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Oh, boy. Well, that's what they do, right? It's fine. That's what I accept. The yeah, they, they, right? they, so they don't, they don't panic. They're, they're, they're fine. Like the, you know, they played a lot of close games. They've won a lot of close games. I think they're six and zero now in one score games, yeah. which, you know, you, you keep thinking, okay, well, how sustainable is that? But then they, they keep you know, executing this game, the same game plan week after week and it works. So, you know, what, what other, what else do you want them to do? I'll ask you one question before we move on. Okay. So did you watch, did you listen to the commentate commentating on this game? Were you just kind of blast through it or how did you watch this? Um, game? I, I was sort of listening to it off and on. Do you recall when San Diego State scored the touchdown where Aaron Taylor said maybe they should go for two? I do. Was he dumb or what? What? Why? I don't kick an extra point seemed obvious, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that I, I can see the argument and the, the argument is like, if, if you're saying you're up nine. You're in, yeah, exactly. If you, if you're San Diego State and you think you can get two yards against this team, just go for the jugular. <laughs> Which when you run a game hasn't been going very well. So that's going to, if you ask, because even in the worst case scenario and it doesn't work out, you're still up seven. Yeah. And, and based off of what we've seen from, from Marcus Arroyo, even if they go down and score a touchdown, what do you think the odds are that they're going to go for a two point conversion to try and win it in regulation versus just they would have. Point settling for overtime? 100%, I, don't, I don't think they would have, you know why I think that they should have, <laughs> you know why I think that because they settled that, for short field yeah. goals twice yeah. in this game. Yeah, the one of the the first drive of the game, which yeah, there's yeah. 21 and 22 yards. They had fourth and three at the three, fourth and four at the four, and they settled for you know field goals both times. That's why. But I think it's a situation I, where, and I, and I don't have like the obviously the what the analytics would recommend one way or the other, but I think it's probably one of those scenarios where there really isn't any wrong answers. I think the worst answer is no. Well, I don't you're. I get to his point. Well, the game's out of reach. There's like two minutes left. I felt like, and this score 28 20, where it'll take UNLV an extra actual regular play to get it. Yeah. Well, but, and, the, and the other thing is, too, like if you settle for just the one point to go up eight, you're, you're saying playing more football. You're, you're trusting your defense to make one which more you, stop. Yeah. Which, you which, which, if you're the Aztecs, is probably a good bet anyway. Yeah. I still, I, I get the, I, I'll have the conversation, but I'm like, I think it's easy to go for eight. I mean, to be up eight, you know what I mean? Because you're yeah, up seven, you can lose. So your worst case scenario up eight is a tie. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see where people would, were like sort of raising their eyebrows at that suggestion, but I could see where he was coming from. Yeah, I, I can too, but I just, my ultimate decision to do this because you can't lose. You can lose if you go, if there's a there's one possibility where you could definitely lose. Mm-hmm. So why would you want to gamble a potential loss when that's, that can be taken completely off the table? Yeah. So, all right, Saturday games. Oh my goodness. Are we? Is it? Is Wyoming Utah State the first game we're talking about? Uh, welcome, welcome back to the land of the living, Wyoming. So, can I boast again that I um I should have been hesitant and concerned, and you kind of changed my mind last week about not to be. Okay, so do you want to remind our listeners? For okay, I've been like cautiously 
surprise is Utah State. Their record is good. They're playing well, but they're not a they have not been a complete team. Like they've been winning, like they beat New Mexico State pretty handily with a great second half. Or I guess whatever it was, they're down 13 or something. But they've had too many games where they've been cutting it close and giving up a quarter where they're just outplayed. So I've always been hesitant. They've been doing a great job at winning. And not that their luck ran out because they they got their butt beat out of them, but I always kind of felt like they're good, but something just doesn't feel right. And this game kind of proves my point because this game did not feel good for them at all. And Utah State fans who are my mentions about my power pole, give me a break. You lose. (laughs) I dropped them like fifth or sixth. I'm like, because like if you match them up against like, not to use Vegas forever because it's not it's lame, but whatever. But like if you match them up against all these teams, San Diego State, I don't think they'd win. Boise State, they already lost. Air Force would be a toss up because that's how that game. They probably could lose that game. You played um, Fresno State, Nevada. I don't think they'd be able to beat any of those teams. And yet they could still win the division, right, Matt? <laughs> okay, so. I guess I'm going to take what, I, what I'm supposing we're calling the more optimistic point of view. You totally could take that. I just felt cautiously, like it's cautiously surprised or cautiously good or something. I think is the best way to put it. They're doing well, they're winning, but it was just something that wasn't fit, sitting right with me for this team. So, so here, here's the counter argument. Go back and watch that first quarter. Yeah, it was good 14-14. Yeah, it wasn't the first quarter where I lost the game. It was the second and mostly third quarter. Okay, but but I want you to go back and watch that first quarter or look at that first quarter and see what actually unfolded. Because, you know, other than like a handful of like, you know, big play, like like both teams were like, you know, throwing haymakers in that yeah. first quarter. Utah State um, going forward on fourth down, like we're going to go against the defense. I don't care. Yeah. And so, you know, that was a good process that just didn't work out for them. And, you know, mm-hmm. th- and then of course the Cowboys totally ended was. up turning that into a four-yard yeah, touchdown. Yeah. It did not work well for them. But then, you know, immediately after that, they get the ball back, go 11 plays, 75 yards and march right down the field for a touchdown. Next drive around, you know, they, they get it back after the kickoff return that Cameron Stone had 99 yards for a touchdown. So they're down 14 to seven again, you know, they marched down the th- three plays, 65 yards and a touchdown. And then they you know, sure did. I think once they got to that fumble, you know, then they started spinning their wheels a bit, a little bit, especially on the offensive side of the football, which is, it, again, it's important to remember that, you know, they fumbled, but then immediately after that, you know, Wyoming got the ball at around midfield. They drive into the red zone. Levi Williams throws the interception that Shaq Bond manages to keep off the ground. And, and Wyoming fans, yeah, yeah, that, that maybe that should have been PI. I think they probably have a legitimate yeah, grab about there, that. Yeah, there totally was. Yes, but at that point, you know, we're, we're again we're on the doorstep of the third, second quarter. You know, it's about twelve minutes, like what twelve minutes into the second quarter, you know, three minutes into the second quarter, twelve minutes to go. Mm-hmm. From there, they have two, three and outs. Yeah, but at that point, that's when Wyoming starts to get it more in gear on offense themselves. You know, they have eight plays, fifty-five yards for a touchdown. Eight plays, seventy-three yards for a field goal, and then you know they go into halftime with the lead, and then from there it just you know this they just couldn't really find any answers, and I think a lot of that came down to the fact that they just couldn't get the passing game together after a really strong early performance. You know that's where you know Logan Bonner, where you know despite his toughness, was under fifty percent passing for the day. You know nineteen of forty, 
181 yeah. yards, two touchdowns. You know, Devin Thompson's scored again. But, you know, there was you know, op- there were opportunities for them to, you know, extend drives. And I think, you know, that first one that they had is sort of indicative of that, where, you know, Tompkins had the ball out of his hands, but he also had Brandon Bowling on a whip route. Like, he was wide open, and he would have gotten oh, yeah. the first down pretty easily. And, and I, I put it out the, on, there on Twitter, and then the announcers came back from the commercial break and pointed out the exact same thing. Good so, job. So it, was, so it wasn't, like, just the big things that ultimately Wait. left Wyoming pull away, but it was a Wait, lot of, it was, you know, what I'm saying big... is, what I'm saying is a lot, it was a lot of those little things where, you know, they found a way back in past weeks by virtue of their passing game, I would say first and foremost. Do and not then, disrespect Titus Swift's 98 yard touchdown run. Oh, I'm not, but I'm saying, but, but <laughs> you're forgetting that came when the game was already out of reach. I don't care. Here's the thing. You're right. But, but, what I'm saying, but that's another thing though, because you know, they, the, the defense in particular was, you know, the, maybe the biggest disappointment of all, because again, they had a handful of really strong plays in that first half where they were asserting themselves. And then as the game wore on, they just, they stopped, you know, creating havoc essentially. And in credit to the Wyoming offensive line for really clearing the path for both Swin and Valaday. Finally, through about 300, over 300 yards on those two guys. Yeah, and so you know, on the one hand, you can say, you know, where has this Wyoming team been for the last month and a half?" That's what Jesse and everybody else is wondering. What the heck? But on the other hand, team? but on the other hand, you know, we we saw that like Utah State's defense looked like it was taking a step forward over the last month, like it had sort of achieved a new level of of play, and then Wyoming basically blew that up in one evening. Here's the thing: they lost 44-17. You're trying to convince me this is some four-position game here or four-play game here that could have made a difference. The Utah State did not throw the ball very well. Their rush defense was a piece of trash. They their best receiver had played okay, Devin Tompkins. And Wyoming was causing Logan Bonner to get hurt and push around. And he was only stacked once, but he was hurried like it seemed like half the time he's out there. Like, yeah, I mean, I mean, the main culprit was like the, the a ton of explosive plays. Yeah, and and like you said, obviously, like the ninety eight yard touchdown run is the big, biggest example. But in terms of like overall percentage of explosive plays, I'm, I'm looking through the different box scores that, that Parker Ferguson has on his site, and I don't think that there was a single team anywhere in the country that had a higher percentage. Actually, I found one, Louisville, that had a higher percentage of explosive plays in this game than Wyoming. So what's technically an explosive play for those who don't know? Is it- so the, I believe I, I'd have to look up the definition oh, that, okay, that he uses, you. but I believe it's um, actually, if you want to vamp for a second, I can look. That okay. Up. I was going to look it up. Cause I'd like, I kind of know the answer, but I'm not sure. But if that's the, okay. I think the way this game played out, well, I mean, which is you look it up, but probably you'd agree with this. They had one of their best games in a long time. Like Levi, we haven't mentioned Levi Williams, 12 of 15 for 242. This is a type of game probably more than they expected him to be throughout the year, but if he does that well, like they're not going to lose games. It's always been running okay, games. So, so there's no not there's no formal definition, but if it's defined as it is on like stat broadcast, then you're talking about any any running play that's more than 10 yards or any passing play that's more than 15 yards. That's what I figured. Some are not range, yeah. So so for Wyoming to come out with an explosive play rate of nearly 30%. Um, yeah, that's, that's a problem. And when you look in terms of like, you know, EPA for the game, you know, in terms of expected points added, Wyoming was basically, it was 46 to nine. If you're, if you're looking to round up those whole numbers. (laughs) So yeah, like Wyoming made a ton of plays on offense 
and uh, you mentioned Swan and Valet, but also like Levi Williams had his best game of his career too. Yeah, and the it wasn't passing, even- 12 of 15. Yeah, clearly 12 15, 242, couple TDs, one pick. This is what they want him to do. Maybe not this, obviously not this efficient, but. So, so Probably, I guess what I'm saying yeah. is, I guess what I'm saying is that like they ended up having sort of the opposite kind of game that the Aggies typically have, where you know they got yeah. off to a slow start and then figured things out as the game progressed. In this game, you know they got off to a really fast start, but they made just you know, made you know a few too many mistakes that they just couldn't recover from. Yeah, and that's why they're not an amazing team. They're like if you're Utah State, if they don't make this like we're pissing on your team. You had one win last year. Your team gave up in a game and you're like, mutiny against your staff. Like you don't want to play the final game. You had issues going on. This year is amazing. Everything's great. You're just not, even though they can still win the division, I just don't think they're like an elite team. Like they're barely, last week they're barely getting top 25 votes. This is a team that I would say if you're an Aggie fan, it's fun you're winning, but it's kind of frustrating. And sometimes when they're winning, especially in this case, they lose. Like there's a lot of ups and downs throughout this winning streak they're doing, this winning season they're having, where they could still have ten regular season wins. Mm-hmm. Like they could still win the conference. So I'm just not can fully convinced that they're an amazing team. They win their games, that's fine. That's what you want to do, and that's the kind of, you know Matt. That's the point of the game: to win these football games, like Herm Edwards said, right? Yeah. Your point is to win the game. So be excited, be happy, but you could still be grumpy here or there. It's like, oh, this third quarter wasn't good. This first quarter here. We're struggling versus New Mexico State or whatever. It could be both, and it could be an exciting game like Air Force where, holy crap, we win 49-45. It's an amazing finish. We come from behind to win. I'm not saying just take it because it's going well, but I can, if I'm an Aggie fan, I'd be like, well, this it's a great season, but there's parts where it's a little frustrating. I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess you know, good teams have duds sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, and, saw, it, we saw it with Fresno State against Hawaii. Yeah. You know, we, we've seen it with, you know, like Boise State against Nevada or something like that. Like it's it's hard to go one and zero every single week. There's a reason like one yeah. team a year does it. Anything else to add about this game? Just change your mind for a while. I mean, now we have an extra bowl eligible team of the conference. I guess. I mean, I don't. I, it's, Wyoming's been a really difficult team to figure out. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. If they have, because I've noticed they've been running more with Swen and Valaday. If they can get not not this type of production because it's crazy. Let's just say instead of that ninety-eight yard run, Swen gets on that drive. Say he steals the say he's the most productive runner on that drive and gets forty yards. Mm-hmm. So you knock off like sixty. So if that's still a lot, but like if he goes one hundred and one forty-five for Valaday and Swen, but the, the amount of carries is good, fifteen and twenty-one between the two. But I think if those two guys can get about. 180 that's what they really want this game's obviously the exception maybe williams knocks in 40 to 50 but i think if they could get about 180 between two of them they're probably gonna win more games than not it's just always been last couple weeks went only a couple weeks before earlier just validate and now that they kind of at least in this game kind of got together even without that giant play you give swan a few more yards it's like or a few i mean knock off some yards it's still a really good game they'd still have about 250 
Well, I think a- for, for me, it's a, it, one big thing is that Williams looks like he's, you know, getting more comfortable week after week. And he's giving them that element of the game that was MIA for like really yeah. long stretches, not just this year, but the past seasons too. And the other big thing too is like we're starting to see more of the complementary pieces that this offense I think really needs in order to function. Because obviously, you know, Isaiah Nair was like the guy, you know, four catches, yeah. 125 yards in the, in the aforementioned touchdown. But, you know, Joshua Cobbs has stepped up into the starting lineup recently. You know, he had, he actually led the team with six receptions, 76 yards. He had the other touchdown. You know, Wyatt Wyland had a big catch. And so I think to me, that's, those are the two big things is like the offense has sort of retooled itself with, with an infusion of new talent. And so I'm, I'm interested to see sort of, how that plays out over the last couple of weeks, assuming that they, you know, they end up getting a bull bid somewhere. There could be eight teams now. That's the thing. Yeah. And we'll see. I don't know. Maybe if they finish strong, it's good. Cause the losing streak didn't help. Them. All right. Next game. We are going to discuss quit. I'm assuming not very long. Boise State 37 to Mexico zero. What? So okay, so you know that you know that expected points added metric I just talked about a minute ago with Wyoming. Yes, I don't think I've ever seen a full game negative expected points added. Oh my goodness! Yikes. Um, let alone one. That, okay, so I don't exactly know the the all of the math behind it, but it, you know we've talked about it before, how it sort of contextualizes the value of any given play at any point on the field, right? So. You know, and, and obviously you can tell in terms of like, oh, New Mexico had 94 total yards of offense. Like that in itself is probably not good. <laughs> you know, averaging two yards per play, running only 48 yards total. None of that is good. Um, you know, in terms of like EPA, though, it was it was basically, you know, 22, 21.81 for Boise State. New Mexico, negative 34.89. That just shows you sort of the depth of just like how much the Lobos could not get anything done, especially on offense. They completed three, two passes, man. Mm-hmm. Like they don't have a quarterback. And if they had Terry Wilson, would they have like five wins maybe on the year? Would that's where they would I be mean, at? Perhaps? I have to think that they would be a lot more competitive. I'm trying to remember the exact stat that Steve Bergen put out there of the Albuquerque Journal. Um, I'm, I'm trying to look it up. I believe, you know, he said that they were five and thirteen. You know, he's Danny Gonzalez is at eighteen games so far as Lobos yeah. head coach. They've started seven different quarterbacks in eighteen games. It is really hard to generate any yeah. kind of forward momentum with that kind of turnover. And it could be Southern Miss who's played like ten quarterbacks or something this year. That's true. They, they they could be running the Wildcat. It could be yeah. worse. <laughs> but you know, it's it's that's just sort of been the story of their late season really is that you know the defense is is doing everything that it can to try and hang around but you know they still end up in a situation where they they're giving up over 6 yards of play to Boise State and it, and it wasn't like the Broncos offensive performance was littered with like a ton of like oh my god the, this guy did what you know like George Hawley went over 100 100 yards but you know he was 114 yards on only 14 carries they just didn't really need him all that often, um, mm-hmm. you know, and Khalil Shakir had over 100 yards, but you know, seven catches, 116, and a score. Hank Bachmeyer completed only 50% of his passes, and so it's sort of, so it's sort of one of those things where it's like they've sort of 
New Mexico has rather that they've sort of settled into like this is what they are as a sport. Like they are a, a if not an average defense, they're a defense approaching average that is just buried by an abysmal offense. <laughs> no kidding. Like I and 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 so when you get into oh, a, man, you get into hard. a situation where, where you so when you get into a situation where you give up not one but two blocked punts for touchdowns in the first 17 minutes of the game, like that's game over right there. Yeah, when you when you can't throw the ball when you're running back, like Dumas couldn't do much of anything. Like they tried, like mm-hmm. even Bra- even Brayson Carroll was or Bra- yeah, Brayson Carroll was out there trying to run the ball a little bit. He hasn't seen him in a while. It was George Lonnie was healthy, he had 100 plus yards, so that looks like he's back. But Lobo is like, are they okay? They're playing young players, or are they playing transfers? Because I see all those things online, like oh, they're all young, or they're playing transfers. I mean, it's a combination of both. Like, can a young guy also be a transfer? Like, I mean, he's a te- fir- technically, fir- yeah. I mean, like a fir- to the system, a first year player. Said, so there's a lot more first year players. Like, I thought Lobos were sort of figuring things out, but like the quarterback, it's just when you're not an option team or what they were before, you can't be successful when you throw seven times and your best player running the ball doesn't do much. That's long of six yards. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of that classic problem of, of, you know, you can catch one opponent off guard, but once other teams get that film and they're able to scheme against it, then you've got to try and stay ahead of the curve. And if you can't, then then you're DOA. So, Clear Shakir, you mentioned he had 1,000 yards, right, for the season? Uh, Yeah. First guy in a while. Is there – there's nothing more about this game. Lobos aren't very good. I don't really good. think we learned anything about either side, to be honest. Yeah. I guess the one thing I like, George Lani had another good game. I'll take that away from it. Had another 100-yard game on only 14 carries. Mm-hmm. So that's really good, obviously. But him playing well shows he's more healthy than he has been. So that's my one takeaway in this game. And also, I don't know, did we mention – did you mention no with his three sacks, three TFLs? It's pretty good. They had freaking 11 TFLs in this game as well. All right, let's move on to the – Shoot the shootout, everybody's not coming, right? 50 to 45. Oh, for sure. Oh, man. I we also we all saw this game, right? 100 points, 500 plus yards, like a thousand passing yards almost. Um, what do you want to say about Colorado State, Matt? They fall 50 to 45. They had to come from behind to make it this close as well because it wasn't close going into that final frame. No, they, they were, were they were down 36 to 10. Yeah, with, with nine <laughs> minutes to go in the third quarter. Where the hell did Todson tail come from? 527 yards, five touchdowns out of necessity, I'm guessing. But hey, well, he, Dante Wright's back. He came from playing really badly early in the game. That's where he came I from. I know. This this passing game was this passing game was wow. This is like the old freaking June Jones, Colt Brennan, and or like even Timmy Changwack type of games with playing QB and um, islands. I'm like, heck, hope your team one sports app worked well for you because you could get to watch the football on the tiny screen, but go flinging around, man. Yeah, this I was mean, the, the thing crazy about, game. The thing about Sinteo is like, yeah, like the, the whole game statistics look really impressive. But he was he was just bad in that first half, though. He was still only 29 of 48. Like, that's not amazing. Well, and but the thing is, like, he had a ton of big plays in the first half, but he was only 11 of 20. Yeah. And and also had the pick six right before halftime, mm, which which when you when you look at the final yeah, brutal. And so, you know, he was able to make up for that. But again, most of that damage came in the fourth quarter when they scored 28 points, but also gave up two more touchdowns. 
also they kick another red zone field goal and they missed a field goal as well mm-hmm. inside the red zone. I get it fourth and nine, whatever you're going to do that, but it's always freaking red zone field goals for East Colorado state. And that like, they're sitting at like, dude, that first one, where they go here? I had up here. They were at, I mean, that's why I feel good. What, what, sorry. I'm, I'm doing a terrible job of clicking an open screen here. First, I at fourth and goal at the 11. I get it, but man, it's like, get a freaking touchdown when you're close. Right. It's like, what are you guys up to? It's not like you're fourth and one at the fourth and goal. I mean, I two think the, those, those decisions are a little more defensible than some of the ones he's made in the past. I know. I'm just saying, kick, no, I get it. It's close, but I'm just saying finish. There, there could be other questionable plays, fourth and two and whatever you should probably go for it or something. But I'm like, just the point being finish your freaking drives. They're not but, finishing but, drives. But also, also um, that defense is going to want to learn how to make a stop every once in a while. Yeah. Don't give up 408 yards. Just, um, Cordero there, yeah. That we haven't seen Cordero air it out like that in a while. He channeling Cole McDonald, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, spe- you're speaking, right. Speaking of, of, of 90 yard plays, <laughs> the boat is that Bowens play, right? Zion Bowens, yeah. Six nice. six catches, 172 yards, and a touchdown. Um, and I and I looked this up for for I believe Justin Michael over at, at DNVR. Um, I believe this makes Colorado State the first team. I can't remember the exact. It's been a little while since a team in the Mountain West has given up multiple 90-yard scoring plays. Um, yeah, it's it's been a little while. I think that I don't – I mean, CFB stats only goes back to 2009, but I'm pretty sure that this might be the first Mountain West defense ever to pull off that <laughs> quote-unquote beat. Good job, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like this game was like, I thought it'd be over. Like you said, was it 36, 10 going to that fourth quarter mm-hmm. or 36, 17. I mean, this matchup was quite interesting. Now Hawaii's not eligible, but the Rams now are, well, they already were out of here, but this was a game of losing teams. That was fun to watch. If you had a chance to watch it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and here's the thing too. Like, even though, you know, the, you know, the running game wasn't really able to get much going, especially early in this game for, for Hawaii. You know, where Sinteo really started going off in the fourth quarter, so did Dedrick Parson for Hawaii. And, you know, when you're talking about those 14 points that they ended up scoring in the in those final 15 minutes, you know, you have Parson to thank for that. Where he, you know, he did just enough to help get the Warriors over the finish line. But even when it was sort of lackluster before that, you know, before that third quarter and without adjusting for sacks, you know, they were, you know, were only averaging fewer than three yards of carry. It almost didn't matter because, like, by that point, Siobhan Cordero had almost – he had over 350 yards passing because he was able to just light up that Rams secondary because, that you know, the Rams front, other than Scott Patchen, just could not get to him at all. So they gave him time to throw. He made him pay for it, and that was maybe the biggest difference in this game. Yeah, that's what it was. He said, run the ball, he got all his passes, and – the Rams defense, like I said, the Rams defense, man. This, they're just a team. I don't. We like they. They have their best offense. If you tell me the Rams have any type of performance, even eighty percent of this, they're winning like every game this year, right? If the offense was what they did over the versus Hawaii, mm-hmm. like they wouldn't be losing to half these teams. But it's like they happen to have the. Like you mentioned, they're the best offensive game piled together with like their worst defensive game all year. Ah, they're. Are you more or less confident about Steve Adazio's coaching abilities after this game? I mean, my confidence has been dipping pretty much every single week. 
for about the last this month or so. What about this one? I mean, like I said last week, if it isn't one thing with this team, it's another. And this like, week it was their defense. It's a, it's, a, it's a team that just they like it doesn't look like they have discipline. And and that yeah. and that that didn't only manifest itself in the fact that they were you know they basically got lit up, you know if you know by the Hawaii passing game in a way that literally nobody else this year has. But again, you know they also had nine penalties for a hundred yards. Jeez. Can you imagine how different this game would have been if they had managed to be at least a little more disciplined? Yeah, they would have maybe. Yeah, it would have been a way different outcome potentially. You know, they had like what two personal fouls? Something. Too yeah, they, they had like, two. They had two personal fouls. They had a holding penalty on a kickoff. You know, they had a face mask penalty that extended a drive in the fourth quarter. Like it, this is this is a bad team. Yeah, told, thank you. Join us. They, we've been telling you this. Oh, and oh, by the way, they also had two unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. So four penalties for sixty yards, essentially. Yeah, like I said, basically every single penalty was you know the eight of the eight of the ten penalties they accrued were either ten or fifteen yards. See, that's a problem too. It's like Adagio penalties. There's this. There's oh, we're young, or hey, we're learning that like yeah, man, we can't get the field goal unit on the on the field or not get the field goal unit on the field at Utah State game. It's like the, the upset is that buyout's going to drop in a couple of weeks at this point. Mm-hmm. With all these coaches going out, man. We got Dan Mullen leaving. Can they bring in another Urban Meyer guy? Is that okay? Dan Mullen to Colorado State? I'm sure there's probably somebody swerving off the road right now, listening to this in their car. That is, is, is <laughs> despairing Cringy. at that possibility. Yeah. Can they get? We mentioned the Ohio State running backs coach who should have got the job last time. Can we bring him over? It's like, man, I forget. I, mean, his I, name would, I would hope that they but... would employ a search firm or something. You know, like that, people who, who for whom their responsibility is to identify the proper individual for such responsibilities. Here's the thing. If there's a new coach, there's going to be a new 82 seconds later. Yeah. Joe Parker, I mean, Joe I, Parker still, I still don't think it's likely to happen, but we'll see. Yeah. The only reason I could see is that there's so many opportunities for names out there. Because, heck, Jim Moore Jr. went to UConn. That's true. And uh, and Don, Don Brown leaving uh, Arizona as their defensive coordinator to be the new head coach at UMass. Oh, I didn't oh. see that. You mean Dr. Blitz? That's right. Is going to UMass? Going back to just, UMass. Going, oh, that's right. Okay, back to UMass. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. But I okay. but I do but I do think like if Colorado State gets blown out next week at home against Nevada, I have to think that somebody in that administration has got to take a long look at what exactly is going wrong with this football program. What what is wrong with the program? Is it the coach? Like it's 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 easy cop out, but it seems to what he's trying to do is not always working. They find new ways to lose every single week. Yeah, it's it's not like a pinpoint one thing. Like this week, the defense just lays an egg, which this or like it's different ways. Like they, they have a big lead versus Vanderbilt and blow it. They can't a rush defense because does nothing against South Dakota State. Their defense front seven starts getting well versus Iowa. They lose a close one to a to a really good team in the Big Ten. This game, the score points. The Utah State game, they don't have a signal to go field goal unit or no go field goal unit. They don't have that either. And so it's like, it's the running game's been inconsistent, but then it's been okay sometimes with David Bailey. Like when he's healthy, like Dante Wright had a great game this week. He missed the first couple weeks. It's Santeo has a, I don't know how they do it. Like he had an amazing game this weekend, but he's been just okay. Like I've been times like, hey, he's getting better. So I don't know. He's not, I don't think he's going to be gone, but I'm like, if it's not bold eligible next year, like 
I hate it where coaches like there's always a they're, they're not going to be bowl eligible next year. I'll call that right now. Uh, okay, you're finally on board with what, we're, what I'm talking about with them. They're bad this year with Trey McBride and, and another right? piece and and Scott Patch and things like that. Imagine what this team is going to look like without <laughs> them next year. Oh, two and ten. This is um, I, I, like I said. This, like I said last week, this is a team that probably thought they had a window to be competitive barely. this year, and they, the they and they missed it completely. They whiffed it, man. Yes. I, and so I don't like it when like, oh, coach is out within like two years, especially out here where if you have one bad year, two bad years, but it's going to have to be as long as Joe Parker's there, Steve Adazio is going to be there, but I don't think Joe Parker's going to be there. It's, I, it's not veering into Gary Anderson territory, but it is close in my like, opinion. What I could, here's what I think I could see happen next year. They, it can mention they, they don't have a winning record. Well, there's a small chance Joe Parker could be gone at the end of this year. There's a possibility. Football season, I'm saying. Mm-hmm. He had a great basketball hire, so that's keep that's good. Obviously, Nico Medved there. Uh, you, whatever we talked about before, Eustace was a good hire, but didn't result. End result wasn't great because of his uh, off the field stuff. But let's just say the football team does what he's he's Joe Parker is here next year, and they go three and nine, just a losing record. He's gone, and then the new AD comes. They'll probably keep him for one year, and then say, okay, you go four and eight, you're out of here. And you know what I mean. I think that's the most likely scenario. So there could be four full four seasons of Steve Adazio in the Mountain West, <laughs> which which I'm sure everybody would enjoy who is not a Rams fan. I know, but but does that scenario make sense? It does, because they don't have money just to get rid of coaches willy nilly. Unless the Joe Parker is gone this year, and then some more thing AD comes in, sees how next year goes, and then goes in their own direction. Mm-hmm. Because a new AD, if that would happen, they didn't make the higher basketball or football coach, the two biggest things. And volleyball is doing fine, even though nobody that's not that people care about. But you want good coaches, good programs and things, but they're doing really good typically. But that's not a big hire if you had to make a replacement for there. I'm not saying there is, but I'm just throwing it out there. Like a, a good non-Olympic sport team, that's great, but it's like, oh, it's the gravy and everything else. But mm. that's what I think is a possibility because you don't have – it's money. It's like it's expensive for coaches and guys out here. There's a reason, well, not not I'm not gonna make a comparison, that's not fair to them, but they don't they're not made of money, you know what I mean? Yeah. You can't make bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. It's like look what UNLV is going through right now. Look what um yeah, they're the only team at the moment that's had multiple coaches go the full four to six years and do nothing. Yeah. And patience might be there, but I it's just he just rubs me around the wrong way because I'll say it like he doesn't take responsibility. That's the thing I don't like the most about this kind of guy. Like two weeks ago, we listened to the press con- press conference when asked about rivals. Like I said, they've won one time. I think since because I think it was just a Michael again with the question. They've won since sixteen one time versus either I think was it just Air Force Boise in um, Wyoming or did it also include bowl games? I forget something about rivals. But he's like we've only won once since then. And his first response was as I said a couple weeks ago. Well, we're trying to change that. We're doing better. His first response was, I wasn't there for any of those. It's like, coach, read the room, man. Come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's stuff like that. It's little things where if you could, coach can't do those small things. How the heck are you going to make something big, important decision or do what you do to have a winning program? And like you said before, like you, months past, the reason he is very successful at what Temple, because other like out was Al Golden there before him, like with their players or BC, everywhere he goes, that he gets the promoted up because the other coach got promoted up. It's with those players that are good. And this wasn't a scenario. This was your f- coach was fired. Now come and build something. He's never really had to build something. He's only usually either att- attempted and I use that word loosely to sustain what was already there. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, just watch him lose the Rocky Mountain Showdown in, in 2023 by like three touchdowns and get fired after that or something. They actually play that game next year in two years? Uh, yeah, in tw- yeah, two years from now. Okay. All right. And do we need to do any more coaching stuff? Kellen DeBoer's possibility, Jay Norvell. We're making a coaching search page within the next few days. Um, I mean, I have, we haven't heard anything concrete. I think the, the most recent news, like you mentioned, was regarding DeBoer in particular in connection to the Washington job. But mostly, he's a guy that they should look at. Not sources said he's interviewed or yeah, interest, that, that he's getting vetted. I believe is that they, what they were framing it as. That's super early in the process. Yeah, and so it's it's really sort of interesting. Like we 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 are hearing a lot more about jobs that are opening than we are about you know coaches who are you know getting into the process of, of being considered for those openings. Which you know, going back to conversations that I think we've had briefly in past podcasts. You know, it seems like a lot, like a lot of programs are veering in a direction where they want to try and have things wrapped up before the early signing day in mid-December. Which means that I would yeah. imagine that, you know, if not, you know, right before, you know, the end of the regular season, that like, after the regular season, so maybe by like next weekend, you know, you might start hearing a little more about, you know, whether, you know, guys in the Mountain West are interviewing for these jobs or not. Because I have to imagine it's got to come together pretty quickly if it's going to come together in time for any of those major programs to keep their recruiting class together. Yeah, that's the point. Like all these hires, <clears throat> hires, fires, and hires. That's why UMass has a new coach. Why UConn mm-hmm. has a new coach. Like I know USC made the fire just because they can get their coach right away, but that job, man, they got like UCLA beat the crap, beat the pants off them, mm-hmm. and they play BYU, BYU this weekend. There might be more BYU fans in at the Coliseum than USC fans. Yeah. It's also a 7.30 kick time. Like, oh, my goodness. But coaches have, like, we're going to make a coaching list, but, like, follow the place. Like, Football Scoop's a good place to go. Or follow, like, Chris Vinini at the Athletic or Bruce Feldman. They do a lot of coaching stuff. But most of it's been, like you mentioned, hey, this guy would be a good fit. Not this guy's being contacted or this guy's interviewing or this guy's, you know, something in the vein of, actual interest from these schools mm-hmm. outside of maybe what you said, the Washington and Fresno connection there with DeBoer. Yeah. I think Nevada needs to pay, even though Nevada is not having the best year, they need to pay Gene over more than the worst in the conference. First of all, you know what I mean? It's like pay that guy for what he deserves. And there's so many changes. It's hard to make a prediction. I'm not going to make one at the moment, but Washington state, Washington are two areas two jobs Mountain West fans should be looking at for your coach to go to that potential area. But there could be a million things open. Like Justin Wilcox could go to Washington, take over for there and Cal open up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And maybe like, there's a lot of jobs that domino effect that will not just impact the highest, like Florida open tech. We mentioned when's like ever Florida, USC and LSU are open in the same year. Holy crap. You know what I mean? Like, look at that. Yeah. And do we need to laugh about Mel Tucker and Michigan state? I had Michigan state fans getting all pissy on my Twitter. I'm like, was that contract signed before this game? Because you got your butt kicked by a team you, had, you just got crushed by. It was not even close. I'm like, did that contract get legit? Is he going to still get $95 million? <laughs> yeah, be- I mean, I think the optics of, or the, rather the timing of that was definitely poor. Well, also, there's no way he's worth that. It's like, it's a destination job. Dude, you're in Colorado for five seconds. Mm-hmm. It's like, don't, and then Michigan State fans, all oh, this job is amazing. It's like, no, it's not. You go to, it's good. It's really good. But it's not LSU, LSU, Florida, and USC are all better. Like Ohio State's better, Michigan's better. It's like the fifth best job in the Big Ten, man. Mm-hmm. But 
as for where teams can go, there's a lot going on that we don't know because there's a lot, obviously. Like Matt Wilson, Texas Tech, a couple years ago was kind of was pretty surprising. I the only thing I might say, I don't think there'll be a coach fired, but I think there could be a coach or two leave. But it could be like a downfield effect where all these bigger jobs open up because you could see there's a reason Michigan State to bring Mel Tucker. He can go from there to LSU if they wanted to. There could be a lateral move to USC. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like James Franklin's linked to like every job because the agents is like the best in the world. There could be guys that go from big time power five to big time or mid level, like a comparable job switch. Like say um, Washington State's a mid level job. Like maybe Washington State, and then somebody like um, I don't know Tennessee. You know what I mean? Something like that where it's like a it's like a swap essentially. It's not an upgrade, but it's just kind of a even move. Yeah, because there may not be promotions from coordinators to that, and so that could open up other jobs. That may not be seen. I don't know. It's just kind of rambling, but that's the point making. We're making that list. Football scoops really good. All those guys I mentioned, but it's going to be a interesting coaching season, man. Because recruiting looks coming up. What three weeks signing day? This is this is the wild west in a couple of weeks. What is your? Um, I was going to think of a fun love or a meter of some sort. But what's your um, feeling on Kalen DeBoer? I mean, honestly, if he decides to leave, I'm not going to begrudge him. I put this out there on Twitter because I, 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 I mentioned the fact that, you know, the guy brought Eastern Michigan back from the dead. It's true. Or, or rather helped to do that. Um, and, and so when you can do something like that and then go to Indiana as an OC and bring that program back to life, uh, and, you know, and then step in from a down year in, uh, you know, at the, at the very end of the Jeff Tedford era and do the exact same thing back here in Fresno, then yeah, like he's he's going to be a hot commodity because like the, the coaching chops are obvious. So to me, like if it doesn't happen this year, I guess I would be mildly surprised because I do think it's definitely a matter of time before somebody comes calling with a paycheck and, and an opportunity that he's just not going to be able to refuse. That's true. And also, not to be that guy, but this might be the time to leave Fresno because isn't Jay Kaner senior? Probably be NFL draft, should be. You're losing guys like Ronnie Rivers, other guys, offensive weapons. So that's uh, not that it's not you just run away from it, but it's another reason. Like, well, maybe the team won't be as good next year. Or there's things to look at that may not be as advantageous. That goes beyond. Oh, I'm getting paid way more. See, I think the the more interesting question as it regards Fresno State is in that situation, what would Ryan Grubb do, the offensive coordinator? That's true. Because Grubb and DeBoer go way back. You know, they were both together. Obviously, they're both together now at Fresno State. Um, they were both with the Bulldogs uh, under Tedford. They were at Eastern Michigan together. They were at NA Sioux Falls, you know, about a decade, decade and a half ago. So in that situation, like assuming DeBoer goes to a Power 5 job, would Grubb be tempted to follow him as the OC? Or, you know, if... If Fresno State wanted to offer him the head coaching job in his stead, you know, would Grubb be tempted to stick around and take his chances as a group of five head coach instead? So I think that that's an interesting decision to make, which could have domino effects, you know, elsewhere in the conference too. Like, you know, in the event that you know Jay Norvell gets hired somewhere, would Matt Mummy go with him? Because mm. um, it's like or, a promotion itself. You know what I mean? Like you're getting to a Power Five OC. Yeah, but so it's I, also you know, hard to turn down your first job, like your first head coaching job, if you get if you can get that. Exactly. That's a, that's a tough, tough. But, tough but it spot. is sort of interesting because we, you know we've seen how like teams how coaches have come back to the Mountain West, 
um, you know, after following that similar kind of route. And I think, you know, the two names that obviously come to mind, Marcus Arroyo was an offensive coordinator at Oregon. Uh, Andy Avalos was a defensive coordinator at Oregon mm-hmm. before coming back to Boise State. So, you know, not, you know, not only in terms of like the head coaches, but the, you, well, know, you mentioned the board too, right? Indiana and back, right? You mentioned him, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I'm like, I, wait, I, I spaced for a second. I'm like, you mentioned him, correct? <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, how that particular domino effect comes into play too, because, you know, you mentioned, you know, having to replace a lot of talent, but, you know, if you go over to 24 seven sports, you know, in terms of like average, uh, you know, you know, composite rating or whatever. I, I forget the exact term for it, but the only team with a better caliber of recruited athlete for 2022 or 2021 right now is Boise state. So, you know, even in his current capacity, while he's potentially being courted by power five programs, he's putting together a very good recruiting class for the future. And, and that's something that he has been able to do over the past couple of years very well as well. So, you know, even with all the departing talent, that the Bulldogs are going to have to replace you know, they put themselves in about as good a position as anybody in the Mountain West in order to, you know, sustain that success. So, you know, if, you know, there are, if, if the opportunities aren't to his liking, then it may be worth his while to stick around for another year and see what the next cycle looks like. You never really know. This will be interesting. So keep on, keep track to us. We'll make our list this week and We'll do comments, rumors, kind of just eh, because we should have done this a couple weeks ago when Jane Ravel's asked about it, but we'll put in some of those older comments we've seen where they're actually saying stuff, not necessarily they're linked to this job. We'll do that down the road, but maybe we'll do a little bit, but we'll just kind of put like a generic overview of like, hey, Kill Nabor is probably jobs that would be interested in him would be like Washington, Washington State or whatever. Yeah. Kind of that type of stuff. So, but then we'll do updates from wherever. But if you see anything on Twitter about, about this or Facebook or Instagram or something, just a, just since us on Twitter, we checked it the most at MWC Wire. So, you, like, you can just add us, like, hey, we saw this little nugget over here in um, a small time news, his hometown newspaper in a different state about saying he's going to this job or something. Yeah. So, let us know about that. But, yeah, this it's always a fun time of year. A lot of rumors, a lot of stuff. It's interesting. And we got one more regular season week left. I can't believe it. Thanksgiving game. So, we're going to do an early podcast this week, probably Tuesday, I think, just in case you're going to Matt Brave the airports, which apparently I've heard are going to be terrible more so than normal huh. this time of year which is glad i'm not going anywhere i'm so glad that's, that's not me either yeah are you driving anywhere or are you staying around town oh, yeah i'm driving down south for the weekend okay not bad all right so that's it for this week check us out mwr.com and we'll be back next uh, next week for a uh, preview in turkey week man